And are you ready for God's word? Amen, amen, amen. Well, before we get started, I want to pray for this morning's offering. I want to remind you um, that God is good. God is good. And when we give to him, we don't give to get. We give because we're grateful for what he's already done. Amen. But we also know, Lord, as we honor you, you bless and sustain and provide. And so, Lord, we do say as we give that we put our, we put our provision or the, for our future in your hands. Lord, bless it like only you can. Bless our finances, our marriages, our homes. Unfold your good plan in our lives, my King. We honor you with our first fruits, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, guys, it is my sincere pleasure and honor to welcome our guest speaker today. He is a dear friend, and he reminded me in first service that we've known each other for seven years. Wow, how time flies. I think time has been kinder to me than him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He hasn't changed a bit. Pastor Andrew is an amazing man of God. He's, uh, he's inspiring. He's anointed. He's captivating and motivating. And it is my pleasure to invite him back to our platform that he might bless you. We've had some, some difficulty getting him out of Australia during COVID, but now restrictions have lifted. He's able to move about the country and, uh, and the world, and he's back with us. Would you help me welcome my good friend, our good friend, Pastor Andrew McLennan from Down Under, Can all the way come? from Australia. Come on up, Pastor. Hey. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Yes, I did get out of Australia and uh, restrictions have lifted, but I do have one of those bracelets on my ankle because uh, <laughs> they want to know where I am. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. It's <laughs> just joking. It's not as bad as it's made out in the media. Hey, I brought the best of the land, the best things in Australia possible I brought to your pastor because I love these guys and uh, there's all sorts of goodies in there. I'm going to pass the baton to these guys and I just want you to know that I love your pastors and I, I know you love them as well. But, you know, always honor your pastors, always honor your leaders. You know, um, pastoring looks like fun on Sunday, and it kind of is fun on Sunday. <laughs> but, but, you know, sometimes there's some challenges Monday to Saturday when you're a pastor of a church. And uh, always honor your leaders and always appreciate them and pray for them and love them. Does that sound good to everybody? Give your pastor a big hand, everyone. Love you guys. You know, before I met them, I think they were introduced to me as Latino Barbies. Uh, that's what Pastor Paul Mason called these guys. And then I met them, I thought, yeah, they actually are Latino Barbies. These guys are good-looking people. And uh, I had to encourage myself to think, well, my heart's good, you know, so it's, a, it's all good, you know. I may not look as good as, uh, as Pastor uh, Chris, but my heart's good, you know, and that's all that really matters. Hey, Pastor Chris. <laughs> Hey, so good to be here. I love you guys. I love your church. I love your state. I love your nation. And uh, I believe God's got a great plan for this church. Well, Pastor Melissa agrees with me. I said, I believe God's got a great plan for your church. Come on. I believe you were born for a time such as this. I believe it's no accident that this church is here. 
This is not just something that just happened and just happens to be here and you just happen to be here today. No! I believe there's a purpose behind this. There's a reason that you are sitting where you're sitting right now. God has brought you here. God has brought us here. And as Mordecai said to his niece Esther, who knows? Maybe you were brought into the kingdom for a time such as this. Maybe you were brought into this church for a time such as this. And God has a great plan for your church. I just heard today from, from Cody that so Elon Musk has built something a couple of miles down the road. He's building some crazy, I don't know what he's doing, some crazy thing down there. You know, the fact is that people are moving to Texas. How do you guys say it? There's some who were born here and there's others who got here as quick as they can. Is that how it goes? <laughs> and if in the natural stuff's happening here in Texas, I'm here today to tell you that something in the spiritual is happening as well. It's no accident that this stuff is happening, that people are coming here, corporations are basing here. It's no accident that your economy is doing better than other states in America. You know, when I first came here, Pastor Chris, seven or eight years ago, I remember I was walking down a road praying. And as I prayed, I believe God showed me fire falling from heaven in the state of Texas. And I believe what God was saying to me was a revival is going to start in Texas and that that fire will spread all across the nation of the U.S. And ever since then till now, I've had this stirring in my spirit that God is going to do something wonderful in your state of Texas that will spread and impact people all over the world. Amen. And if you really analyze it, it's already happening. I mean, Chris Tomlin, or whatever his name is, was in Austin, and you know, Gateway Church is in Dallas, and Joel Osteen, all these big churches, big ministries are already in your state. But I believe there's more. Someone say more. more. I didn't hear that. I said, I believe there's more. Someone say more. more. I said, I believe there's more. Someone say more. more. That's more like it. So today I'm going to talk to you about momentum, okay? Because I believe God wants you and I to start some momentum in our lives. If you are a male and you're a Texan, it's my understanding that you love football, am I right? Oh yeah. I believe statistically more Texans play in the NFL than any other state, am I right? I think that's what I've heard. Anyway, I love that state. If it's true or false, I don't care. I'm going to own it. I'm going to take it, okay? And now we have a game in Australia called rugby, which is actually even better than your version of football. <laughs> because we don't wear helmets and padding. It's just man on man. And that's how we roll. Yeah, well, I've been hit in the head a few times, but it did me a whole lot of good. <laughs> but you know, in, in rugby or NFL, or American football, whatever you call it, gridiron, you know, there's a principle. If someone's standing still and you give them the ball, Man, they're an easy target. Am I right, guys? Come on, guys. I'm talking about football now. You can wake up. You give the ball to a guy who's standing still and you say, run. By the time he starts moving, often he's already taken out. But you get a guy who's moving. Yeah? And look, we're going to be gender fair here today. You get a girl who's moving too. Anyone's allowed on the football field these days. You can do whatever you want. Girls or guys, you can be on the field too. We're all inclusive here today. You give the ball to someone who's moving and they get that ball. How many people know they're hard to tackle? 
Why are they hard to tackle? Because they've got momentum. Because they're moving. You know, I was saying this morning, I like hunting hogs in Australia. We have hogs in Australia too. It's a worldwide pandemic, you know. We're trying to fix the problem just like you are. How many people know that hogs just stand in there eating grain when you're in one of those blinds? You know, you guys lull them in there with that grain thing, those things. What are those things called? Feeders. We don't have feeders in Australia. We've never heard of them. But, you know, you put the grain on the ground, those hogs are studying. That's an easy shot, man. You're in the blind with your air conditioning, your TV, your, your Cheerios. You know, you're all camoed up, but you don't need the camo because you're in the blind. I know how you roll. It's convenience. <laughs> that hog's an easy shot. And in Australia, we're so third world, we've got to get out on, our, on foot and we stalk those things. I love stalking hogs. I love smelling them. I like following their trail. I love to find their homes and I like to pounce when they're not expecting it. You know, if there's one thing a hog's not expecting, it's this white Aussie guy to turn up in their home. And I love it. I, I've done it. You, you stalk in and they don't know you're there because the wind's coming towards you and you see them and they're talking and they're grunting and they're, they're carrying on, you know. And you find that first shot and they scatter. A moving target is so much harder to hit. Why? Because they've got momentum. They're moving. They're moving. They're moving. It's a principle of God. He's designed the world in such a way that when things move, when stuff moves, when people move, even animals, when they move, things start to happen in their life. And momentum is a biblical concept. It's a biblical thing. And we're going to look at it in the Bible today. But what is momentum? Here's a simple definition. It's the impetus gained by a moving object. It's the impetus gained by a moving object. Momentum, simply put, is this. It's when something moves. Turn to the person next to you and say, move. Man, what's wrong with you? I'm not hearing that. I'm, I said, turn to, the per- turn to the person on the other side and start this again and say, move. move. That's more like it. I want some energy here today. This is not a time to fall asleep, okay? We'll sleep tonight. Momentum is caused when stuff moves. And God wants to do some stuff in your life. God wants to do some stuff in your church. God wants to do some stuff in your city. But what he needs is he needs people like you and I to make a move. To make a move. Sometimes it just takes one person, just one person to take a step. Because that one step can echo through eternity. And God can work with that one person that makes a step. Amen. Now let's look at some Bible examples of this. Okay, Turn with me please in your Bible to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 24 to 25. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24 to 25. Oh, we're turning. Don't you love the sound of the rustling pages of the Bible? You know, the late Dr. Rob Carman, who introduced Pastor Chris and Melissa and I, and his wife Ginger, who's still in Dallas, said, he used to say, hold your Bible in the air and wave it around and make the devil mad. Did you ever say that here? 
I used to love that. Let's all do that now. Wave your Bible in the air. Come on, wave your Bible in the air and make the devil mad. This book has enough power in it to change the world. This book has so much power in it that the Bible says when the Spirit of the Lord was moving upon the surface of the waters before creation, all it took was God to speak one word. God just spoke one word. How many words did God speak? Was it 359? Was it 2,486? How many people know that Colonel Sanders had to knock on 1,004 doors before someone gave him the money to build the first Kentucky Fried Chicken? Did you know that? He was unemployed, in his 50s, had an awesome recipe, secret herbs and spices or whatever the thing is, but he had no money in his 50s. And he went, he went to a, a, a bank or a, 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 bar, a, a financial institution. He said, please give me the money. Oh, I've got this idea. It's going to be awesome. It's going to, it's going to take off and it's going to go all around the world and we're going to make some Kentucky Fried Chicken. They said no. He went to another person. They said no. He had to knock on a thousand and four doors. This is a true story. You can look it up. thousand and four doors he knocked on until someone gave him the money to start the first KFC. And how many people know the Lord was using him? If you love KFC, I don't know. <laughs> Do you guys call it KFC? Yeah, that's what we call it in Australia. Everything in Australia gets abbreviated down because we're a simple race. You've got you to keep things simple for us to understand, okay? So KFC, we remember that. So he had to knock on a thousand and four doors, but God spoke one word. Just one word. And the world was created. There is enough power in this book to change our world. This whole world was created by the words in this book. Can you imagine what this book can do to your life if you apply it? Can you imagine what this book can do to your world if you dare to believe it? Can you imagine what will happen to your local church if you start to act upon this word and do what God says in this world, in this word? Your world, your life, your family, and your church can change forever. And I know we know it, but sometimes we need to remember it. So turn off the CNN, turn off the Fox News, turn off the social media and get back in to God's word. Hey man, I don't care what the experts are saying. I don't care what the economy's doing. I don't care what the politicians are doing or saying. I really don't care. I care about what God is doing. And one word from God can change your world and my world forever. Momentum. Listen to what Conrad Hilton said about momentum. Success seems to be connected with action. Say action. action. Successful people keep moving. They make mistakes, but they don't quit. Now we're in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24 to 25. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24 to 25. It's a famous part of the Bible. And it says here that... It happened after that that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all of his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. So this is a story where 
everything's bad. There's a famine inside the city. The food's running out. I don't know what 80 shekels of silver means, but all I know is this. I've never had to buy a donkey's head. Times must have been pretty rough. We know from another part of this passage that a woman actually boiled her son and ate him with her neighbor. They were so hungry. People were committing cannibalism. It was a horrible circumstance, a horrible situation. And if you analyze it, these Old Testament stories, what makes them even more tragic is that the people in these stories, they knew the stories from Genesis and Exodus. They knew that God had split the Red Sea. They knew that the angel of the Lord had gone forth through Egypt and killed the firstborn of every Egyptian. They knew that God had worked wonderfully in their history. They knew that Joshua and the people marched around the city of Jericho seven times and they let out a shout and the walls came down. And yet they find themselves in a situation where there's no food in the town. And they're surrounded by an army, a hostile army who want to kill them all. How many people know this is pretty bad? This big picture is bad. And I want you to hear me here today. Sometimes the big picture is bad. I think really, holistically, if you look at the world today, the big picture is pretty bad. I don't know a nation right now where everyone's saying everything's awesome. And some worse than others. We have a war in the Ukraine and, you know, we've got gas prices high, living costs going up, power shortages. There's so much bad going on in the world. We've got frustration with political leaders. In many ways, our world today is kind of bad. But that's the big picture. But the reality is sometimes you and I can't change the big picture. It's not in our hands. And in this story, the big picture is bad. But you know this story, and I know this story, but we're going to remind ourselves of what happens here. And it says here that um, in verse 3 of chapter 7, just read on a couple of verses from where you are. It says in verse 3 of chapter 7, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we also die. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. And so they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And you know what happened. If you don't know the story, they get there. The Syrians have fled. There's food. There's water, there's gold, there's silver, there's horses, there's donkeys. There's an abundance waiting for them out there. But if they'd stayed outside the camp and just sat there, they would have died. If they'd been mesmerized by the big picture stuff and just gave up, they would have died. And I think we need to be careful today because we live in a world that is saturated by media and most of what is reported in the media is what? It's bad. You know, I used to work in the media in talkback radio, like Rush Limbaugh used to do. I used to work as a producer in that. And we, we were taught that negative headlines sell better than positive ones. You've got to focus on the negative in the media because it makes people watch. It makes people listen. 
How many people know when they do it? If the, if the news media tonight, you know, the, the, the news on what time it's on, 6 p.m., 7 p.m., I don't know. If they led with a story like this, best neighbor in Austin, people aren't going to watch that. But how many people do they lead with crazy serial killing neighbor in Austin goes berserk? How many people know we're going to watch that? We're going to find out what's going on here. You know, it's the human brain. We're drawn to the negative. And the media focus on the negatives because we're drawn to it. And then they can sell more advertising and they make more money. It's a business, okay? It's a business. It's not just the Antichrist arm. It's also a business, okay? People get all paranoid about the media. Oh, it's trying to do this. No, the media's trying to make money, usually. And they make money out of negativity, out of bad news, out of fear, out of anxiety. They focus on that stuff so people are engaged and they make money. It's that simple. That's why, personally, I don't watch a lot of media. I just don't have time for it. I don't want to know about some mudslide in some country I've never heard of. I can't change that. That's beyond my scope of existence. But I can change the little things in my life. I can change the attitude of my heart. I can change the state of my mind. I can look after my physical frame like this young man does, and I can take care of myself. I can do the little things in my life. And these lepers just decided, you know what? It's all bad. The big picture is all bad. But we're just going to do what we can. We're just going to put one foot in front of the other, and we're going to go for a little wander. And just see what happens. And as they just took a few steps, and as they walked out towards that camp of the Syrians, how many people know that God did a great miracle? And food came, drink came, riches came, freedom came, deliverance came to a whole city. Because four guys just decided, we can't change the big picture stuff, but we're going to do the little things right. We're going to just go for a walk and see what happens. Someone say amen. amen. You know, the Bible is full of stories of people creating momentum. I love your pastor's messages recently about David. I listened to the one from last week, this week, under his orders. He said, Pastor, I just feel it in my heart. Man, you need to listen to my preaching. And the Lord's going to bless you. And if you give me $7.75, God is going to... No, he didn't really say that, okay. But he said, have a listen. <laughs> have a listen. So you know what I've been preaching about, and I listened to a great message, amazing message about dancing before the Lord, about just dancing with all of your might. And so, you know, you look at the story of David, his life story. There were many times when he created momentum in his life. The Bible says in, 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 second, in 1 Samuel, when Goliath approached David, this was a giant. This was a big man. This was something too big for David to really deal with as a little boy. He was a teenage boy. And the Bible says David swearing and cussing and cursing and threatening him, intimidating him, bullying him. What does the Bible say David did? He didn't just stand there with his knees shaking together. And go, oh, God, help me, help me, help me. The Bible says, you can check this out in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48, later on if you like. The Bible says David ran to meet him. He ran. Sometimes we've just got to move. And as David is running to meet Goliath, God meets him there and does a miracle. A little teenage boy defeated the largest man on the earth. It's a story of momentum. 
It's a story of someone doing something in the face of an impossible situation. There's other stories like this. You know, the one where the Bible says David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, the Bible says, encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had a bad day. Maybe you've heard at work some people have been talking about you. Maybe you've heard that one of the neighbours was talking about you. Maybe one of your family members has said some nasty things about you. Have you ever had a day when people are talking about how they're going to kill you? They're not just saying we want to kill him. They're saying we're going to kill him with stones. I mean, they're thinking about this. And David hears it. How many people know that's a bad day? That's a bad day. And David, again, didn't just stand there paralyzed and start feeling sorry for himself and depressed and giving up and thinking, okay, I'm going to die. So the Bible says David did something. He couldn't change the way people were thinking. He couldn't change the way people were talking. He couldn't change the plans that they had made for him. But what he could change was the state of his heart. What he could change was the way he was thinking. What he could change was the way he was feeling. And the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. I believe he got his Bible out and he started quoting scripture. I believe he started saying, God, just like you split the Red Sea for Moses, God, I think you're going to split the Red Sea for me today. God, just like you met Abraham as he walked in those desert nights and you showed him the stars and the sand, God, I pray, meet me today. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. And in that place, God worked. The Bible's full of this stuff. Another story is when Abraham was sitting in his tent. Abraham's got a thousand male servants working for him, maybe that many females. He had thousands of people working for him. He was a big man. He was an important guy. He was large and in charge. And he's sitting in his tent and three guys approach him. Now this guy could have said to his servants, hey, go and find out what they want. Yo, yo, what up? You know, he could have sat there with his big gold chain, you know, just throwing orders around with those funny hand signals that all these sort of celebrity types do now. You know, yo, what up, you know. But he didn't do that. The Bible says, it's in uh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 2, that when he saw three men approaching him, he ran to meet them. He ran to meet them. And we know now that it was the Lord with two angels. And he had this incredible encounter with God and God started speaking to him and prophesying and promising him a baby and took him down to Sodom and Gomorrah and showed him what he was going to do. But isn't it amazing that Abraham understood the key to success and the key to victory, the key to seeing things happen in life. The key was momentum. He didn't just sit there. He ran. Now, some of you, this is a word for you. You need to start running. You need to start running. You've got to start moving. Yeah, the big picture may not be what you want. The world may not be the way you want it to be. If you're old enough to remember what I'm talking about, you may long for the days of Little House on the Prairie. Oh, they were good old days. We had Ma and Pa. We had little kids running down the prairie and just playing with their little flowers. And, I, and Laura was the daughter. And, you know, it was a community and they all looked after each other. Man, they were the good old days. 
But those days are gone. Or you may remember the days of the Brady Bunch. It's a story of a man named Brady who was living with three boys of his own. They were four men living all together, but they were all alone. Until one day, the lady met this fellow, and they knew that it was much more than a hunch that this group could somehow form a family. That's the way they all became the Brady Bunch. (laughs) How do I even know that? If you're young and you're wondering what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. It's ancient history. It's... But they were good days because TV was so innocent in those days. There was no swearing, no cussing, no kissing. There was no drugs. It was just like good old-fashioned, clean fun. But those days are gone. And you and I can't change that. When I say those days are gone, in the media, I mean, the media's changed. And you and I can't change that. But man, what we can change is the state of our heart. Thank you. We can change the state of our family. We can change the temperature of our church. We can hot this place up. We can do what we can do. And as we do what we can do, God will do what God can do. Amen. Just like in Mark 16, it says that they went out and they preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Mark 16, that is, as the apostles went and did what they could, God did what only he could. You know, I shared a story this morning when I was a younger man. I'm still a young man now, but I was a younger man. I was in Nigeria. Now, the north of Nigeria is predominantly Muslim. The south is predominantly Christian. And I got there as a missionary, and I, and I felt that, and, and when I was there, for whatever reason, the people who were not Christians, they're going to be very politically correct here, the non-Christian community were killing the Christians. They were macheting them, and shooting them, and it was ugly, and thousands of people were dying in the north. And I'm in the safe south, and I feel the Holy Spirit say, go to the north. And I really felt God wanted me to die. I'm like, wow, he wants me to die. I actually thought I was going to die, but I said, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go die. I'm going to die for the Lord. That's what you do when you're young and stupid. You know, you just want to go die. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm going to die, man. Praise God. I'm going to die. So I went up to the northern areas, always a little bit, you know, wondering what was going to happen. And I got to this northern city, and I was tired, and I fell asleep, and I was going to preach that night. It was a Muslim city with a small Christian population with a Christian church in it. And as I slept, I slept well, I woke up from my sleep, got ready for church, and we're walking to church. And the pastor says, oh, pastor, when you were asleep, a Muslim man brought his son, who's a mute, and he said, I heard there's a man of God in town. I want him to pray for my son that he'll be healed. And I'm thinking, okay. And he's like, so I just told him, bring him to church tonight, he'll be healed there. And I'm walking to church thinking, what on earth? I never advertise I'm making the mute Muslims talk. That's not on my, you know, that's not on my blurb. And I really thought, this is the end of me. Now I'm done. Because, you know, if this kid don't start talking, man, I'm going to die. No, I'm serious. I was afraid. And I'm thinking, I've got to get out of here. But you know what? I just felt the Holy Spirit say, don't worry about it. Just go to church. I couldn't fix that big problem, but I could do what I could do. So I just went to church. Got to church, preached, gave an old school, people got saved, did my thing, 
did our pastoral thing, and I deliberately ignored this guy and his son. I could tell who they were. They looked like non-Christians, okay? They were dressed like non-Christians. They were standing there. I could tell they were like, you know, like Homer Simpson. You know, look at the, look. How long is this going on for? And I was just ignoring them, ignoring them, you know. I was making it work for this thing, you know. I was just... And finally, the pastor, he came over. He goes, man, you've got to pray for this Muslim kid. They're, they're, getting, they're getting nervous. And I said, I said, okay, come here, sir. I said, I, I, bring the Muslim boy to me. I, I, and I just felt to do this guy. I felt my heart to do this. I said, bang! I, honestly, I hit him. I gave him a good one. And I said, talk in the name of Jesus. And that little boy said, hallelujah. Instantly started talking. True story. And he started speaking. And God did a miracle. And I left after a couple of days and I went back to where I was. Thank you, sir. You're a good looking man. You make him look bad. Sit down. <laughs> you know. And they wrote me a letter a few months later. said that the, the testimony shook the whole town. That they know that the God of Christianity is the real God. People were touched powerfully, powerfully, powerfully. Not because, not because I can do miracles. I can't do miracles. But I just did what I could. I just went to church. I just turned up. I just preached, and I just hit someone in the head. That's all I did. That's all I did. <laughs> but I did what I could. If this guy had hit that kid in the head, he would have died. <laughs> Stand up. What is that? I'm thinking that's a resurrection body. <laughs> when I go to heaven, if I'm good, the Lord's going to give me some guns like that. But you can tell I've been pretty bad up until now because my guns aren't like this. <laughs> if he'd hit that boy, he would have died. But anyway, that's why the Lord used these arms to hit the boy because it's all good, safe. But you know what? I did what I could. And the key to momentum is this. You've got to do what you can. You can't do everything, but do what you can. You know, there's a great story in history where the Persians were invading Greece and they made a movie about it a few years ago called The 300, The 300 Spartans. You remember the story? Now, historians say it was between 60,000 and 300,000 Persians were trying to invade Greece. And 300 Spartans went to meet them at the Pass of Thermopylae, a narrow gorge between two mountains with about 600 helpers. It was actually about 1,000 Greeks, not 300. And these 300 Spartans were warriors, they were fighters, and they were outnumbered potentially, you know, 300 to 1. How many people know those odds are bad? <laughs> That's a lot of stabbing with a sword to get your 300 guys down. And it was a situation where, again, they could have just given up and said, what are we doing here? They could have run. They could have just surrendered and hoped for mercy. You know, the Persians observed the Spartans on the first morning of the battle, they observed that they were trimming their moustaches and combing their hair and just making themselves look as good as they could. And it freaked the Persians out because they thought these guys are outnumbered about 100 or 300 to 1. They're all about to die. And they're not lying around wailing and crying and praying and, 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 and sobbing and feeling sorry for themselves. They're trimming their moustaches and combing their hair because they're doing everything they can to be as awesome as they can before the biggest battle of their life. And, you know, they kicked some tail that next couple of days. And they stopped 
the Persians for a couple of days and they sent a message throughout the whole of the world that if you try and mess with us, the Greeks, and with the, with the uh, Spartans in particular, man, you're going to suffer the consequences. And the Greeks won that war. They kept the Persians out and it actually kept European culture intact. And I believe the legacy of that is we see it in America today, that European culture of the individual, of an individual having value and worth and dignity. The Persian culture was all about collectivism, groups, dictators, you know, kings that had all the power and all the authority. The Greeks gave us what we have today called democracy. And those 300 men on the, the worst day of their life we're trimming their moustaches and combing their hair and saying, I can't change the big picture, but I'm going to change what I can change right now. And that's me. It's a principle. John the Baptist was in his mum's room. I won't get you to turn to it, but it's in Luke chapter 1. He's in the womb of, Ma- of his mum, Elizabeth. And the Bible says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is also pregnant. They're both pregnant. Mary visits Elizabeth. And as she walks in the door and greets Elizabeth... The Bible says that John the Baptist is in the womb and he hears the greeting. Now, I believe John the Baptist at this time had a desire to preach. He had a desire to turn people to the Lord. Israel at that time was under oppression. The Romans had conquered it. They'd lost their glory. The temple had lost its glory. The the worship was gone. The sacrifice of animals was gone. They were a backslidden nation. The big picture was bad. And John the Baptist is in his mum's womb. He can't even speak. He's never walked. He's never written. He can't read. He's never been to school or university. I mean, what's he got? Nothing. I mean, he's got nothing. He doesn't have a worldwide ministry or a technology to speak to the whole world in one you know, single moment of time. He's got nothing. But the Bible says... As Mary walks in and greets Elizabeth, that John the Baptist did what he could. The Bible says he leapt in the womb. He just leapt because that's all he could do. He couldn't talk. He couldn't walk. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. He couldn't do anything. But he just leapt in his mother's womb. And as he leapt, the Holy Spirit filled his mother. Elizabeth starts to prophesy. Her prophecy comes to pass. Jesus is born, the Messiah of the world. And it starts a move of God. It starts a revival that continues on to this day. There are two billion people in the world now who know Jesus, who believe in Jesus. A great move of God started. Because a little baby just did this. That's all he did. Just. That's all he did. He couldn't change the big stuff. But he did the little stuff that he could do. Oh, man. What can you do? You know, the Titanic, we all know the Titanic ship went down, sank. Horrible story. Did you know there was a Presbyterian, sorry, a Baptist minister called John Harper on board? Was sailing to America to take over a large church in New York. All excited, had a vision. You know, God was sending him. He's on this great ship on its maiden voyage. You know, if he'd been on Facebook or social media, he would have been posting selfies on the ship. Hey, God, is this? I'm on the Titanic, you know. We know what happens. The ship goes down. Do you know what John Harper did? Man, he couldn't change that big picture. He was in a bad situation. You know what he did? 
He swam from raft to raft, crying out, Are you saved? Are you saved? And people would say no. And he would lead them to the Lord. He'd swim over and he'd lead them to the Lord. And as he finished with one group, he'd swim to the next group. And his voice rang out. Survivors tell the tale that his voice rang out until his dying breath. Are you saved? And in the last moments of some of those people's lives who died with the Titanic that night, the voice of John Harper brought salvation. The voice of John Harper brought Jesus. The voice of John Harper brought an eternity in heaven. Why? Because one guy decided, I can't change the big picture. I can't save the whole ship, but I can do what I can do. And I'm going to tell someone about Jesus. Come on. He did the little things right. The big is in the little, and the little is in the big. Some of us need to take our eyes off the big stuff, because you can't change it. You know, one thing about COVID is it's brought out the craziness in people. Some people have gone crazy about it. I don't know if COVID came from Wuhan or Wisconsin. I don't even know. I don't know all that stuff, and I'm tired of talking about it. But all I know is that right now, people need to know Jesus. People need to be saved. People need a relationship with God. So I'm just going to focus on that. I'm just going to focus on helping people to know Jesus. And all I know is that I need to pray. And I need to read my Bible. And I need to turn up in church. I need to do the little things right in my life. And as I do the little things right in my life, I believe God is going to take care of the big stuff. I believe God is going to do the miracles. I believe God is going to do the things that only He can do. But He's waiting for you and He's waiting for me to do the little things and create some momentum in our lives. Let's all stand to our feet. Oh, come on, church. There are people here today And you just need to start making some small choices again. You know, worldwide, what happened in COVID is that people got taken out of church. We had people in Australia. I'm sure no Texans did this because you're good people. But we had people in Australia that would say to us, I'm not coming to church during COVID. I don't want to catch COVID in church. But they'd go to the grocery store... (laughs) surrounded by hundreds of people who aren't believers, no presence of God, no anointing, and they'd interact with people there, talk to the checkout operator, you know, buy their groceries and bump shoulders with people, but they won't come to church. If that was you, it's okay. But just get off that little horse now and come back to church. Regular church. Once a week, church, be planted in the house of God. If you're one of these people that spend hours reading all the stuff on the internet about this and that and the conspiracies of this and that and a freaking Wuhan virus and, you know, White House conspiracies and is Sleepy Joe a puppet? Is he actually dead? Is he, is he, is he a real, you know, if you're one of these people that spends hours reading that stuff, can I just say, come back to the Word of God. Come back to the Word of God. Come back. Come back. Because whether Joe's dead or alive don't really matter. That's big picture stuff. That's his issue. But your issue is you. 
And God needs your heart on fire for Him. Because if your heart is on fire for Him and you join your little fire to that person next to you's little fire once a week in church and you worship together and you pray together and you sing together and you read the Word of God together, your little fire and their little fire is going to combine and those two little fires are going to become a little bit of a bigger fire. And if those little bigger fires with the person over there and the people over there join your fire to their fire and everyone starts walking in unity and walking in love and walking in faith and start praying together and worshiping together, there's going to be a fire that spreads across your congregation that won't be stopped, that won't have a limit to it. And that fire will spread into the community, into the city, and maybe even into the nation. As you do the little things right. Let's all close our eyes. Father, thank you for these people. God, they're your people. They're wonderful people. You love them, Lord. You died for them on the cross. Jesus, I pray right now, you would touch every heart. God, you'd move by your spirit. Draw people to yourself, Lord. There are people here today and you are not walking with the Lord like you should. Maybe you've never received him. Maybe you've never believed in him as your Lord and Savior. You may believe in God. The Bible says you do well to believe. Even the demons believe and they tremble at His name. But you have to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. You have to confess with your mouth that He is the Lord of your life. Well, maybe you're here today and you once did this. You once walked with God, but you know today you're not walking with Him like you should. You know today you're not walking with God the way you once did. And today, the Lord has drawn you here to bring you back to Himself. If you're in one of those two categories, if you've never done this before, or you know you need to recommit your heart to the Lord, I want to pray for you right where you stand today. I want to pray for you. I know the Holy Spirit is moving right now. God is drawing you. God loves you. He loves you so much. He's like a father that just loves his kids. And you're one of his kids here today, but he wants to draw you back to himself. If that is you, either for the first time or as a recommitment, you want to give your heart to Jesus. Just slip your hand in there right now. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Look at that. God bless. God bless. God bless. I see hands. God bless. God bless. I see hands, but God sees hearts. God sees your heart. God sees some of your hearts are broken. God sees some of your hearts are hurting. God sees some of your hearts are disappointed and discouraged. But I hear the Lord saying today that as you give your heart to Him, He is going to replace your heart with His heart. He's going to replace your discouragement and your despondency and your depression, even some of you, with His heart, with His Spirit. That new life is going to come. That new joy is going to come. That new peace is going to come. Resurrection is going to come to your life here today as you give your heart to the Lord. I want everyone to pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, Forgive me for my sins. Wash me clean in your blood. I want to walk with you. I want to serve you all the days of my life. God, I thank you for dying for me. And Jesus, I will live for you. Amen. Amen. If you believe God heard those prayers, I want you to give the Lord a great hand of praise here. Come on. Come on.
Yes, God, yes, 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 yes. Come on, if you believe revival is going to break out in your church, if you believe revival is going to break out in your city, let's give the Lord a great hand of praise here today. Come on. Yes. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here today and you feel your heart stirred, some of you here have just been so fixated on the big picture stuff, you've actually become idle in your personal life. You've neglected to pray. You've neglected to evangelize. You've neglected to come to church regularly. Some of you have stopped giving to church. You need to come back to God with an offering. You need to come back to the Lord through your tithes and your offering. You. Some of you have just become stagnant in your personal life because you are fixated on the big stuff. And, and, and I hear today, the Lord's saying, it's time to make a commitment again to start some momentum in your life. Just like David encouraged himself in the Lord. Just like David ran to meet Goliath. I believe today is a day of decision for people to decide, I'm going to create some momentum in my life. I can't change the White House. I can't change the media. I can't change the war in Ukraine. I can't change the gas prices, but I can change the state of my heart. I can create some momentum in my life again. Man, I feel God's presence. If you're every eye closed, please, if you're here today and you just know this is for you, that it's time for you to step up again into the Lord's presence. It's time for you to step up again into the things of God in your personal life. Raise your hand to heaven right now. I feel the Holy Spirit stirring people. That's right. Come on, make a commitment. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. Come on. Surrender yourself to the Lord again. We don't know how long we got. We might have five years. We might have 50 years. We can't change the big picture stuff. Those Spartans couldn't change the circumstance they were in, but what they could change with themselves, they trimmed their beard, they combed their hair, they got their armour and their swords out, and they said, let's get it on. Let's do what we can. Oh, God, I pray for every hand that's lifted and every heart that it represents. God, I'm asking you to stir the hearts of your people, God. I'm asking you, Lord, to let your wind blow again upon this congregation. Let the fire of God start to burn again, God. Baptize His people in your spirit, I pray. Revive the hearts of your people, God. Let there be momentum and a stirring of the gift of God in people's lives. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I give my heart to you again. I give my life to you again. Use me, Lord, to create momentum. Use me, Lord, to start to move. And use me, Lord, to do the little things that you want me to do. Amen. Amen. Man, I feel the presence of God here today. And if you believe that the Lord has heard that prayer of consecration for the final time here today, I want us to give the Lord a great hand of praise. Come on, let's give the Lord a great hand of praise. Come on.
shout, jump, dance, sing, do what you want to do right now. Come on. Ho! What a blessing. Amen. What a blessing. I thank Pastor Andrew for being here with us. You know, it's one of the most one of the most powerful things we do, the most sacred things we do is partake of the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ partook with his disciples and said, let this be a sign, let it be a sign of the new covenant between me and you. And through the ages, Christians all over the world have partaken saying, Lord, thank you for your gift of love. And so this represents his, his blood that was shed on the cross for our salvation, for, for the remission and forgiveness of sin. How many of you know there's power in the blood? And the body is represented, his body is represented by the bread. And so, Lord, even as you did with your disciples 2,000 years ago, we partake and we say thank you. Thank you for giving your body to be broken. And your blood to be shed. As your family, we partake and we say thank you. Until you return. Maranatha. Amen. Church, have a great, great week.